0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
1: You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with hosts Victoria and Adair Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here with her daughter Adair, a lifelong vegan and an actress, a playwright, and a stunt performer to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran.
3: And I'm Adair Moran.
2: And what did you eat this weekend?
3: Oh, gosh, I I didn't know that that was going to be a question. Let's see. Um, Well, I had some people over on Sunday, and, um, well, you had brought us some guacamole, so we served the guacamole. And that was pretty tasty. We had some strawberries and some chips and salsa and that kind of thing. So it was a good little party. And we made mojitos with the fresh mint from our garden. So that was nice.
2: That sounds lovely. Well, I had an amazing week last week because we had our first session of Main Street Vegan Academy, which is a training program that you can read about on MainStreetVegan.net to train vegan lifestyle coaches. And, you know, when you do something for the first time, you kind of sort of think you're planning it the best you can, but you know there are going to be some glitches. This thing was so blessed. I mean, from start to finish, it was just sensational. And this fabulous chocolate pudding that you just had in a shot glass was a leftover from the class.
3: That was good. I like putting in a shot glass. That's a cute idea. That pudding was made by
2: Fran Costigan, who is considered the preeminent vegan pastry chef in the country. She has a book called More Great Good Dairy-Free Desserts Naturally, and she came and, and did a cooking demo for us. She also did a program called The Sweet Dilemma. Sweets and, and desserts, you know, we all like them, and yet we feel guilty about them. Do you ever run into that?
3: Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess so. I guess people think of sweets and desserts as being such an indulgence and in something that's probably going to make you fat.
2: Well, Fran was very good about that. She said, sure, there are all these wonderful kinds of of sugars and sweeteners, and you can do the raw organic sugar. Now, refined sugar, a lot of people don't know, isn't technically vegan because most of it is refined through bone char. But you can get lovely organic sugar. You can use maple syrup, uh, rice syrup, coconut syrup. There are all kinds of sweeteners that are less refined than refined sugar, but there's still sugar. This is treat food. This is an everyday thing.
3: Yeah, and I also like to remind people, I think everybody uh, has learned the evils now of the high fructose corn syrup. And, and I think that is rightly so. But I think people do forget that the other better sugars are still sugars, even though they're a better type of sugar, you still don't want to go overboard just because they're not the bad high fructose corn syrup. Well, that's why
2: what you just enjoyed here, it was a little shot glass of chocolate pudding with a drizzle of wonderful cashew cream topped with a lovely handmade chocolate truffle. And you spoke about mint leaves, a lovely mint leaf for garnish. Now, in a shot glass... That's
3: not going to hurt anybody, and it's quite delightful. Well, that was very rich. I don't think I would want more than that little shot glass full, but yep. I'm going to use that idea because, as you know, I collect shot glasses from my travels, so uh, <laughs> I now do. I have something good to do with them. What's your favorite shot glass in your collection? Um, I have one from New Orleans that has a, an alligator, like a big fake alligator stuck to the side. Uh, so you tacky
2: know. shot glasses. I, oh, oh you as tacky collect. as
3: I can find, yes. Well, now you can start having shot
2: glass pudding parties. I can. You can start a trend. We even talk about Jello shots in uh, Main Street Vegan in our chapter and on can vegans drink alcohol? Well, certainly they don't have to, but those who who wish to can.
3: Yeah. Well, we have a big list of all of the things that you might find at a bar that aren't vegan, and the list is actually pretty short. The big one is is anything with a milk mixer or with Bailey's in it. But as we got into the more obscure stuff, it was stuff like Jello shots. You know, if you're at a a college type party, you might see some Jello shots. And the worm in the is it tequila? I, I think it's traditionally not actually tequila; it's mezcal.
2: Aha! Uh-huh. But
3: I, I don't think even if you're not vegan, you don't want to eat a worm.
2: Yeah, well, that so- that is getting into some of the more obscure <clears throat> vegan stuff. Some of what we did at the Academy, I just, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be like, and this is every little thing I did on my summer vacation. But this Academy program was so great. We had 14 students, and they came from all over the country. We had people from Virginia, Texas, Missouri, Oregon, and and a lot from the tri-state area here near New York City. And my plan was to use New York City as part of the curriculum because we homeschooled when you were growing up. And I just really learned that f- the world is such a great teacher. So the first night we had Joshua Catcher, who is a vegan fashion expert. His site is thediscerningbrute.com. His specialty is men's fashion. He's a designer. He puts out a beautiful magazine called Pinnacle, which is a an anti-fur magazine. So he came and showed us wonderful slides. We had... Um, Nora Kramer from Mercy for Animals. Mercyforanimals.org is a wonderful organization that is helping out farm animals. We had uh, Michael Parrish-Dudell, who is an amazing young marketer and environmentalist. He was instrumental in starting the site ecorazzi.com. Ecorazzi is like paparazzi, but it's environmentally interested um, celebrities. So the whole week was full of great stuff. And then we took these field trips. So, on Wednesday, we went to Brooklyn, or Thursday, we went to Brooklyn, and we visited Vote Couture, and you can check that out, V-A-U-T-E-C-O-U-T-U-R-E, com. They make the most exquisite winter coats and jackets for men and women, because you just can't get nice dress coats that aren't wool, and... and this lovely young woman in Chicago had not been in the fashion business before. Just thought, well, what can I do to help? I'm going to do winter coats. And now she's been on Oprah's website. She's been in all kinds of fashion magazines. She's just like this darling of the fashion world. And she was so sweet to spend time with us. And then we went to Food Swings, which is a vegan kind of junk food restaurant. You've been there. Oh, yeah.
3: I love Food Swings. What's your favorite thing there? Uh, Well, they specialize in um, vegan buffalo wings, so those are really good. I also like the, um, they have the, I think it's called the Cordon Bleu Sandwich, and it's like a fake chicken thing with a whole bunch of fake ranch dressing really good. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it is really good. Now, this is not obviously the
2: kind of thing you want to eat every day. This is not the kind of thing you want to eat if you're trying to reverse heart disease. But you know, if you're vegan and you're active or you're young and you just really miss milkshakes and chili cheese dogs. You know, it's kind of fun that there are some
3: of these places available. They also have some really fantastic desserts because at least the last time I asked, they were getting their desserts from uh, Vegan Treats in Pennsylvania. Yeah, well, that's and where we got the cake for your wedding. That was where we got my wedding cake because I'd asked at uh, at some vegan restaurants like Food Swings and like Red Bamboo where they got their cakes, and they all said, oh, we get them from Vegan Treats, and they're so fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was really good, but that was a story because – Uh, my husband and his daughter drove out to Pennsylvania to pick up the wedding cakes and they brought them back and I opened the box and I was feeling so like, Oh my daughter, my daughter is getting married. This is all so sweet. And I opened the box and there was a chocolate cake and I just about fainted because my daughter was going to have a white cake at her (laughs) wedding. So I made William and his daughter drive back to Pennsylvania to get you white cakes, but they couldn't take back the chocolate cakes because it's against some kind of law. So well, you I don't went, know who's going to
3: need like twenty chocolate cakes that same day. So you had the most cakes at your wedding. People are still talking about yeah, the fabulous still wedding it because they each got like a quarter of a cake. It was ridiculous, but they were really, really good. They were really good. And then
2: we we had your wedding catered by um, Josie's. Yeah, a, a dairy free restaurant. Yeah, it's
3: not a vegan restaurant, but they specialize in dairy free food and they have a lot of good vegetarian options. Yeah, and they
2: did a beautiful, beautiful vegan buffet. And actually, speaking of weddings, in the current issue, this would be the July August issue of Veg News Magazine. This is the annual wedding issue. So if you're thinking of getting married, if you have a child who's going to be getting married, or if you just like weddings, then check out Veg News. And also a little bit of tooting our horn on page 94 of the current issue of Veg News is the most amazing review of Main Street Vegan. Did you read it?
3: Uh, No, I haven't. You were telling me about it on our our last show, though. Oh, it it sounded very complimentary. Yeah, they,
2: they call our book The Vegan Bible New Testament, and we're the editor's pick of this issue. It's pretty, pretty wonderful. So check that out. Now, in terms of things that aren't wonderful, one of the... People in the class told me about something that is going on in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And no, it's not um, religious fighting like we know went on for years there. This is about a dog. His name is Lennox with two N's and this lovable five-year-old family member, an American pit bull cross. And this is a quote from, from the father of the family that we have owned since he was a little pup was on, May nineteenth, 2010, taken from our family home by Belfast City Council as they believe he falls under the Dangerous Dogs Act for Northern Ireland. So this sweet dog, who has never attacked anybody, never bitten anybody, and, and who is the pet of a special needs child, has been imprisoned for two years. He's on death row. They want to kill him you can go to a, um, a petition at www.savelenox.co.uk, that's save L-E-N-N-O-X, uk, and, and join the signatures of over 260,000 people from around the world to save this dog's life. That's just so
3: heartbreaking. Isn't it? Yeah, I think pit bulls are just so unfairly persecuted. They are indeed. The, the father here writes,
2: um, let's see, he says, Lennox cannot speak for himself, but we will be his voice. If he were human, we would declare this racism. We ask every kind-hearted person for your support. Don't let them murder him.
3: Oh, and especially a dog that they've had since puppyhood. I mean, pit bulls, I think what a lot of people don't understand is they are not vicious by nature. They're incredibly strong. That's certainly true. They're very, very strong dogs. But usually when you're dealing with a vicious dog, it's because it was trained as a guard dog. It was trained to be vicious. And, yeah, a dog that's grown up with a family and always been treated kindly, the chance of that dog doing any harm to anyone is so slim. I know. It's a really,
2: really sad thing. But this is why the Internet is fabulous. Sometimes I get down on the Internet because I'm a writer and, and I started getting paid to write when I was 14 years old, and now everybody says, post on my guest blog, you know, for free. So I have my issues with the Internet. But on the other hand, it's so wonderful that that this dog and this family can get 260,000 signatures from around the world.
3: That's amazing. I really hope that that, uh, that they listen. Well we always like one
2: animal. Have you noticed that? If a cow escapes from a slaughterhouse, everybody is on the
3: side of the cow. Well it's the same with any kind of of charitable thing. I mean there's a reason that all those ads say sponsor this child and not just give us some money and we'll help some kids somewhere. This is You know, we, we like to know who we're helping and who needs us.
2: Yeah. Well, we are going to have some wonderful guests after the break, and we can have a little bit more time to talk with them if we introduce them now. But before we do that, I want to answer one question that came in uh, through email. This is from Denise. It seems that Denise has a little girl. Uh, The family has gone vegan, I think, fairly recently. I was a little bit unclear on that from the question. But she's saying that her little girl is always hungry, and she's given her lots of fruits and veggies for snacks, and the little girl is still hungry. What would you think about that since you were more recently a little girl?
3: Well, the first thing that came to mind is I wonder if this little girl is really more hungry than all the other little girls, because it seems to me the kids are always saying, Mom, I want a snack. You know, Dad, I want a snack. And there's a reason that whenever you see moms, they always have little baggies of Cheerios and crackers and carrot sticks and things like that with them. Well, that is true because kids
2: obviously have smaller stomachs and so they're not really able to do the sit down and have a meal and be fine until the next meal that I think is a really good idea for adults. But some of the things that I'd like to share with Denise is that we're talking here about water content and concentration of calories. Vegetables have very few calories. Fruit have more, but still not all that many, and that's why these are the traditional diet foods. This and is why they
3: also have no fat. I have to throw that in there. This is
2: true, and and this is why most people who who go on a vegan diet lose some weight. And most people in this country would love to lose some weight, and that's a positive thing. But there are some people who need more calories, not less. So we're talking about growing children, athletes really large people and people with a very high metabolism. One of the people who lectured for the Main Street Vegan Academy is a wonderful woman named Donna Peroni who's an expert on raw foods and detoxing and she says that She has to eat a lot because she's choosing to be on a raw food diet, but she's someone who metabolizes quickly. So to maintain her weight, she's really doing a lot of of chowing down and says she eats more than her boyfriend and nobody understands why she's thin and and he's not. But anyway, some of the things that, that you can do for or a kid who's hungry, or somebody else who's hungry, is to move along that spectrum from the vegetables and the fruits to grains and beans. Those get more concentrated, so they're more satisfying. They're more calorie-dense, still low in fat, as Adair said. And we know that fat has a little bit more than twice the calories of either protein or, or carbohydrate. So when you move on up to nuts and seeds and avocado, these are the highest in fat and calories of whole natural foods. So if you think about trail mix, this is the classic high-calorie, really dense food that the hikers take with them on the road. Uh, those are going to be dried fruits and nuts, so we're getting a lot of calories in a small space. So for for a child, Denise, I would, would give this child... Uh, The veggies and fruits, of course, because those are so good for her, but give them to her with dip, uh, hummus, or or you can do an emulsified nut butter dip. You mix the nut butter with water and kind of whisk that up so there's a little bit more to it. You can give her little sandwiches, uh, avocado, peanut butter, almond butter. You can use a a vegan cheese like Follow Your Heart or or Daiya cheese, D-A-I-Y-A. You can do veggie cold cuts. Um, we have got the nuts the dried fruits, the little uh, vegan-type energy bars. Uh, I like Luna bars. Which do you like?
3: I like Luna. I like Cliff. They're both made by the same people. Right. But I know the, the Cliff bars are pretty calorie-dense. Yeah, they the have Cliff, a lot of nuts.
2: Cliff bars are very calorie-dense and very satisfying. And, and they
3: I, Oh, I was just going to say, I think the nut butters, too, that you mentioned, because you can spread those on the fruits and vegetables. You know, you can put almond butter or peanut butter on your apple or your celery stick, and there you go. It has some fat. It has some protein. That's right. a little more filling. Right. Or make a smoothie
2: and just put a whole lot of stuff in there. That's another way to pack in some calories.
3: Yeah, and those are pretty yummy for
2: kids, too. Yeah, yeah. And you also asked Denise about the veggie meats and cheeses and the soy products and how many of those to eat. They are so great for a transition. When you're first going vegan, have as many of them as you need to make this work. But over time, you want to take a break from them sometimes because they really are highly processed. They're usually good food, but they're still highly processed. They're obviously not something that grew up out of the ground in the form of a veggie hot dog. And you might also want to take a, make a soy-free day uh, once a week or two days a week just so nobody in the family develops a, a sensitivity to soy or to wheat, for that matter. That's another food that it's nice to rotate.
3: And you can also eat soy in the form of edamame, which is not processed. It's exactly. just the soybean, the way it comes, and it's really tasty. Right. You dip it in some soy sauce. Yeah, and tempeh, too, the complete natural
2: soy product. You know what? We don't get to introduce our guests because it's getting to be time to take our break. But we will introduce our guests when we come back. So stay with us.
1: You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous love offerings of listeners like you. If you feel spiritually fed by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now.
0: Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile?
1: From on the air to on the sea, pack your bags and come with me. Hey hey, what you waiting for? An early winter rendezvous with all the things you love to do. Hey hey, treat yourself to more. A little more summer, a little more sun A little less work and a lot more fun A little more beach, a little more sand A little less stress and a lot more pain.
4: Join your favorite Unity Online Radio hosts for Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. On this fun-filled Caribbean adventure, enjoy sunshine, exceptional dining, and island excursions. Feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation, plus one-on-one time with some of your favorite hosts. That's Cruise in the Caribbean, November 10th to 17th, 2012. To learn more, go to unity.fm slash cruise.
2: A little more
1: sunset, a little more sea, a little less do and a lot more... You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria and Adair Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to like Victoria Moran, author on Facebook, and post your questions and comments. Now, back to Main Street Vegan.
3: Welcome back everybody. I am Victoria Moran. And I'm Adair Moran.
2: And we are Main Street Vegans. So happy to be broadcasting to you from Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakened world. And we're so excited to be
3: bringing on our wonderful guests. Would you like to start the honors, Adair? Sure. Uh, Jasmine Singer and Marianne Sullivan co-founded Our Hen House. And you can find Our Hen House at www.ourhenhouse.org. They founded this in January 2010. Uh, Our henhouse is a multimedia hive of opportunities to change the world for animals and features a daily blog, weekly podcast, which you can find on iTunes, and a video page. Our hen house was named the Indie Media Powerhouse by Veg News Magazine for 2011. Their 129th
2: podcast episode is in the works. Oh, my gosh, that sounds like so much work. But I guess when you're talking <laughs> to great, fascinating people, it's not so bad. They've gone on air every week since our has began two and a half years ago. Jasmine and Marianne regularly travel, giving workshops on veganism and activism, including veg veg around the country, conferences such as Taking Action for Animals, the Let Live Animal Rights Conference, the Lewis and Clark Animal Law Conference, the Animal Rights Africa Law Symposium. Oh gosh, you can talk with them about that since you're heading for Africa in a month or so. And hundreds of individually organized events at law schools, community centers, and bookstores.
3: Jasmine is the former campaigns manager for Farm Sanctuary and a contributor to Veg News Magazine. Marianne teaches animal law at four New York law schools and will be, visiting, will be a visiting professor of animal law this fall at Lewis and Clark Law School in Portland, Oregon. Jasmine and Marianne are partners in life and in activism. They live in New York City with their gorgeous pit bull, Rose. Hey, Rose. Hi, Rose. Rose is actually
4: here. Rose is sitting on our lap. She's excited about being interviewed by Main Street Vegan today.
3: Aw. Very cozy. My my two dogs are actually here with us as we record, too. So uh, our listeners will have to forgive us all if there's some barking. <laughs> Have you guys heard
2: about the Save Lennox campaign, the pit bull in Belfast? or He may not even be a pit bull, they think he's a pit bull.
4: Yeah, it's tragic, and it's not just in Belfast and in, in other countries. There's plenty of those bans right here in the United States. Fortunately, Ohio, which was the only state that had, it wasn't a full ban, but it just put such draconian regulations on pit bulls that it was impossible for people to keep them. They recently lifted that, which is great news, but there are still many communities across the country that, that just banned pit bulls completely. In in Maryland, there was a very unfortunate decision recently by the Supreme Court there that said that pit bulls can be deemed dangerous dogs even though they've never done anything dangerous. With other dogs, they have to have obviously done something to be called a dangerous dog under the law. They have to have bitten somebody. With pit bulls, just by their very existence, they can be deemed a dangerous dog, which is really, really difficult, particularly for people in rental housing because then landlords are, are too wary of having a, a dog deemed a dangerous dog living in their apartment. So many, many terrible regulations about pit bulls. In fact, as you mentioned, we're about to travel, I think you mentioned, we're about to travel across the country. We're going to be driving because we don't want to put Rose in, the, in, in an airplane. And because we want to drive, so we're using her as an excuse. And, and one of the places that we would have difficult visiting is the place where, where Justin's brother lives in Kansas. They have a full ban on pit bulls there in Overland Park, Kansas. So there's really a lot of work to be done in educating people about, about these dogs and how they are not dangerous unless they've been, been trained to be dangerous. And, and it's the people that we have to go after, not the dogs.
3: And from what I've read, when I've read some of the statistics, I mean, they're really not like the bite compared to other breeds. And in fact, they don't even have the strongest bite strength of any breed. I think the the German Shepherd and the Rottweiler actually come in with a stronger bite strength. So it really doesn't make any sense.
4: It really doesn't make sense. They just have a reputation, and it just shows how, how reputation can really make a difference because one of the problems is that people have the perception that they're so much more likely to bite because news, if a pit bull bites somebody, it's much more likely to make the news than if a Labrador retriever. It just doesn't sound exciting to the news folks. So this, this reputation just ends up building on itself, but they are, by and large, just very, very gentle dogs with people and, and usually excellent with children. Rose, Rose absolutely loves children. My, my understanding is that they were
2: formerly used as nannies and that in the Peter Pan story, when the lovely dog is there looking after the kids, they really did look after children in, in
4: England in the 1800s. Remember and the I Little get, Rascals? Petey was a pit in the Little Rascals. That was a pit bull. And I, I get yeah. very
3: upset when I hear these stories about pit bull attacks because for the most part, I usually think the culprit is either somebody raised that dog very badly or somebody didn't properly care for that dog and didn't properly you know, protect neighbors and children from it. So
1: it's, yeah, it's just mean, very it, saddled it, around it, when that
4: happens. It's, it's, it's the people's fault. I mean, if you look, if you look back and, and at any of these attacks, you'll see dogs who have been mistreated or poorly raised or tr- yeah, actually trained to be violent. And you know, yeah, or, are or used for today? fighting is a big problem too. Absolutely,
2: well, we see some of those dogs up in our neighborhood, and it's um, it's a sad thing. Although they did just uh, bring down a pit bull fighting ring up here in in, in New York City in the Bronx just this weekend. So there are some laws that are good. Now, Marianne, you are an animal rights lawyer. You're a law professor. What are the laws for for dogs and and farm animals? Just let us know how animals are protected in this country legally.
4: Well, the protections are much, much less than people think they are. Uh, Every state does have a cruelty law, which means that essentially the the language varies, but essentially it's it's illegal it's actually a crime to cause an animal to suffer unnecessarily but unlike many criminal laws which usually are there's an effort to draw to write them in a very specific way, animal cruelty laws are not written that specifically; they really don't say much more than it's a crime to make an animal suffer unnecessarily so people are very unclear on what that means and people will push that envelope pretty far. And of course, animals suffer unnecessarily by the billions because most of what we do to animals are by any intelligent definition of the word necessary, not at all necessary. And yet we use them to, to cause animals to suffer. So these laws really don't protect animals in, in industrial settings at all. They're, they're just not enforced against industrial caused Suffering, such as animals in agriculture, or animals in in racing and and in in circuses and in all of the other ways that and in in research, all of the other ways that that animals are used, and even on the individual level where they're not. though though those laws do protect people and though there are strong efforts by by valiant people in most communities to get them enforced, they're difficult laws to enforce because so much, even private animal abuse, goes on behind closed doors where, where unless there's very, very active law enforcement and loads of undercover investigations, like the wonderful one that did just, result in the seizure of 47 dogs who were being used and bred for fighting up in the Bronx. So that's great news that that happens, but too much of it. It's very expensive to do those kind of undercover operations that enclose this kind of animal abuse. So they're not nearly as well enforced as they should be, even, even where people understand how they apply. So there are also a few federal laws that apply to animals. There's the Federal Animal Welfare Act. Which is a wonderful law, but it just doesn't go very far. It covers animals in research and and in in performance, such as in circuses, and in dog breeding, such as in puppy mills. But there too, the the enforcement is just not what it should be, and the regulations are just not nearly as strong as they should be. It's a, you know, it's a compromise between the efforts of people who care about animals and the industry. They both go to Congress when these laws are being proposed, and the industry just wins far too many concessions, and there. Really, other than that, there are very, very few anim- few laws actually directly protecting animals. So it's very difficult for, for animal lawyers and people who care about animals who want to use the law to make progress that way. And the most important thing is for people to understand that they can't just throw up their hands and say, oh, well, the law will take care of that because the laws really are very, very weak.
2: So we're Main Street Vegan, obviously. We're thinking a lot about... Farm animals and, and food animals, and you guys are both prominently featured in Main Street Vegan.
4: Marianne talking Yay. about animal
2: law and Jasmine talking about animal
4: activism. So We're very proud. We're so proud to be featured in Main Street Vegan. That was a real oh. thrill for us.
2: <laughs> well, you're very kind. So Jasmine,
4: what, what
2: is incidental activism? I love that concept.
4: Oh, well, thanks, Victoria. We just love Main Street Vegan, so it's a mutual admiration society here. Incidental activism, I guess, is another way of saying just there is a way in for everybody who cares about animal issues, and and probably everyone listening right now cares in some capacity about animals. In fact, I would venture to guess most people really do care about animals. So when it comes to incidental activism, there is a way in for everyone to use their talents and their skills and their interests and plug it into a way to Change the World for Animals. That could be as simple as baking a batch of vegan cupcakes for your office party and supplying the recipe along with a Y vegan brochure. It could be as simple as writing a letter to the editor once a week in response to an article talking about Anything from environmentalism to health to food and just tying in animals whenever and however you can. It can be just speaking up in any capacity, be it going to a non-vegan restaurant and requesting a vegan dish in advance and explaining why and then thanking the restaurant managers afterwards because positive activism like thanking restaurants and thanking TV networks for airing something positive, this is all things that we can do, that we can easily insert into our lives without anything more than a tiny tweak. Of course, there are other forms of activism, too, that some people might be more familiar with when they think about animal activism, such as protests and leafleting and things like that. And we're big fans of that, too. But what we're trying to do is create a mass movement to change the world for animals. So we can't rely on one form of activism or even two or three. And we can't rely on top-down organizational campaigns. We have to each take a stand and a step in our own lives to do this. But it can be fun and fulfilling, which is I hope, where our hen house comes in.
3: I think that's so great because yeah, I think a lot of people are can sometimes be turned off by the really in your face activism. But like I remember once at my job somebody saying, Wow, I never thought I could be a vegan, but the stuff you bring for lunch always looks so good. Maybe I'll give it a try. that's so stuff great. like that I think could be really effective. Yeah, so, um, Jasmine, I nice, know that yeah. you're trained as an actor, and um, so I'm curious to know how can artists and the arts, how can you, you get involved using the arts to help animals? Thanks for asking me that. We're
4: really passionate about bridging arts and advocacy in whatever way we can, because as you both know, there are so many powerful ways that the arts seep in, in ways that we're not even necessarily aware of on a conscious level all the time. We can be moved by a painting, by a piece of theater, by a photograph, by some music, in a way that really seeps in. And there's so many artists who care about animals and animal rights activists who like to express themselves through art. So we like to feature on our blog or on our podcast everything from artists who have exhibits that focus on animals either more explicitly or more implicitly. We like to feature photography exhibits. There have been plays that we've featured, like one-woman plays. One was called I'm Sorry. Katya Katya Lidsky, it's in L.A., but she's bringing it to New York Fringe this summer, and that is all about her journey on how she became an animal rights activist. I mean, that's reaching theater audiences. That's not necessarily just preaching to the choir. So we like to feature artistic outlets. Sue Ko is a tremendous visual artist who I'm sure you're f- very familiar with, and her work is as harrowing as it is educational. We actually featured her in a video we made called Art of the Animal, Sue Ko. Art of the Animal is one of our series, and she really is really exposing a lot of the hidden abuses within Factory Farms through art that you have to look at. I mean... It's really tremendous what happens when the arts and advocacy combine. I think that sometimes people really do kind of have the information about what's going on with animals, but they still just don't face up to it. it they're kind of in denial about it. It's not just a matter of giving them hard facts. You have to find ways to, to reach their hearts, and, and as we all know, the arts are really the way to reach people on an emotional level, on, a, on, a, on ways, in ways that... You know, we don't really understand it's just communication. It's not just conveying facts. It's conve- conveying the underlying meaning. And that's what we really have to do when it comes to animals. That's really beautiful. I think you you
2: guys, I know you all know that um, my husband, with a little bit of, of help from me, ha- has written a, a screenplay called Miss Liberty that yes. is about a cow who escapes from a slaughterhouse. But it's also about the, the human interaction. And we're really hoping that that's going to be come um, an actual feature film in theaters because it's a great family story it doesn't push a political agenda about animals but when people start to think about oh gosh this this burger was recently a uh, somebody it doesn't mm-hmm. start you
4: thinking Miss Liberty is amazing. We're such. We've read the screenplay. We would love to see that come to fruition. We need more and more films like that that are out there and reaching people who come for the nice story and leave with a big message. Well, it is exciting. Some things are happening for Miss Liberty. There's a wonderful producer named Ginger
2: Sledge who actually has a movie in the theaters now. A movie called Bernie with um, is it Jack Black. Uh, oh, we I'm saw that movie. We you love saw Bernie. Well, Ginger produced that, and now she's uh, doing some work with Miss Liberty, so we're just sending some prayers up uh, that uh, this is actually going to be the time that 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 happens. So real quickly, we only have about a minute before break, but I, I just want to ask Marianne, you know, so many people say, well, I'm getting on this road, you know, I've given up red meat, but legally
4: it's worse for chickens, isn't it? Well, just from the from the basic fact that that killing one chicken feeds one person and you've taken an entire life whereas when you kill a cow you have fed many people. I mean that's that's a brutal way of looking at it the people looking at it but people have to look at this in the in the brutal way each of these consciousnesses is exists on its own and and to take many lives is worse than to take one life. But aside from that Chickens just suffer so horribly. I mean, of of all of the animals, and I'm not undercutting the amount of suffering of cows on feedlots because it's horrific. But of all of the animals, cows probably raised for beef probably suffer the least, if if that's a, a proud uh, thing to be able to say. And chickens raised for broiler production, which is what they call the animal, the chickens raised for meat, just suffer horrifically. The, this is a terrible, terrible industry in which these animals live in. Horribly crowded conditions, and they're bred in such artificial ways that they have these monstrous breasts because that's what people like to eat. And they are unbalanced, and their their legs uh, are are so fragile under this terrible weight. And and they live they live a, uh, just a few months. They're 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 bred to to come to full growth when they're still just babies. And oh, so sad, so sad.
2: We need to go to break. We will pick up on this and on some happier topics after the break. You're listening to Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
1: Feel undervalued, disconnected, or simply overwhelmed at work or in your business? Are you trying to attract what you need but are desperately worried about cash flow? What if the problems you're experiencing aren't problems at all, but warning signals, clues to redirect? What if those clues are being obscured by your blind spots, the things you can't see that are keeping you from accomplishing your goals? Find out how you can move step-by-step beyond your blind spots each week here with Karin Pettigrew. Wednesday mornings at 9 Central Time on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair.
2: Thanks so much for staying with us through the whole of our wonderful, delicious show. Our guests today are Jasmine Singer and Mary Ann Sullivan of Our Hen House. That's ourhenhouse.org. They have a fabulous podcast that's been going on for two and a half years now. Is that right? Two and a half
3: and yes, they're I'm also curious.
2: that's a lot. And, and they're expanding to an online magazine that is gonna have a lot of extended content, a membership area with lots of incentives. This is the biggest expansion so far for our hen house coming up soon, so do do check that out. When we went to break, Marianne was talking about just some of the the awful things that chickens go through. And I know, you know, this is unity. We're into positive thinking and looking at the life in a life in a positive light. And yet to bring the positive in, which is a change in consciousness and, and a change in how things are on this earth, we sometimes have to look a little bit at the facts and how things are now. So I think, um, did you have a question there, Derek? That... Um, Like, a deer grew up vegan, (laughs) and so for her, it's like, doesn't everybody know this? But people don't know, so can you just very briefly let our listeners know, since we were on the chicken subject, why do vegans
4: have a problem with eggs? Oh, sure. I was talking about chickens raised for for meat, but an entirely different type of chicken is raised for eggs, and they're treated perhaps even more brutally. I, 99% of them are still kept in cages where they're so crowded that they can't raise their wings, and they, they, they're they, born in hatcheries, of course, where they're, they never see their mothers. There's no chickens hatching their eggs, and, and the saddest thing perhaps is the, the boy chicks are weeded out from the girl chicks in the hatchery, and since there's no use for them, since they wouldn't have that Severe overgrowth. that chickens raised for meat have—they're just thrown in the garbage right after birth. That—that happens to half of the chicks born, and they're either ground up for fertilizer right at, after they peck their little ways out of their shell, or or they're just thrown in to suffocate in plastic bags. And then the chickens themselves just live brutal, brutal lives in these small cages where they're kept for their whole lives, and then after about two years, their egg production starts to drop a little bit. It's not at prime production, and they're just killed for cheap meat. It, it's just one of the most brutal industries in the world. And how about dairy products? Why are vegans not drinking milk and eating cheese pizza? Yeah, you were saying about staying positive, but you know sometimes you have to know the negative in order to stay positive in reality, rather than just an image. And the image of dairy is perhaps... The most deceptive dairy is seen as this as this delightful food where cows are frolicking in pastures that 's just not how it is. I think people just seem to forget, and it comes as a shock that cows are mammals, and just like any mammals in order to quote unquote give milk, they have to have babies their milk is for their babies, so they have to have a baby every year, and in order for us to have the milk instead of those babies. So the babies have to be taken away from them, and that's exactly what happens. And it's right after birth. And cows are just wonderful mothers. They're they're extraordinary mothers. They're they're symbols of motherhood all over the world. And and they bellow for days, and their calves will bellow for days. And the, the male calves are are either taken and put in, in crates, put in crates to raise for for veal. And they're kept in those crates so that the wheat, the their meat will stay white, so that they don't use their muscles, or or sometimes they're raised for beef. Or and the the girl calves are just put in in tiny stalls where they're given milk replacer. It's called. They don't get real milk. They get milk replacer until they can be put into the dairy herd. And and dairy cows as well. They don't produce. For, for their whole lives at the rate that the industry wants them to. So after just a few years of this brutal life in production, they also will be just killed for cheap meat.
2: That's a lot to think about. So what would you say to somebody who's hearing this for the first time and is just thinking, oh my gosh, but this is
4: what I've eaten my whole life.
2: <laughs> what am I going to do? You
4: know, people find out this information and they do all sorts of things with it. Too many people just Put it away and don't think about it. So if you're thinking about acting on it at all, that's really a wonderful thing and it puts you in the on the positive side of the ledger. And And people have to approach it in different ways. Some people love to make huge changes in their lives and they just jump into veganism and they do it very successfully. Other people need to take it step by step and they'll start with going meatless one or two days a week and see try it out. And I think once they try it out, they'll find out and they they make a little effort to to make good food, they'll find out that the food can be pretty delicious and they can start making this transition. I mean, one of the beautiful things about going vegan, as your book so clearly articulates, is you just said, well, why don't vegans eat cheese, pizza, or have milk? Well, the truth is we do. It's just not milk or cheese that came from an animal. And we are lucky enough to now live in a time and place where there is a good, ethically sourced alternative to every kind of animal product out there, and it's becoming so so widely available, and it's really, really good. Like, it tastes amazing. The last thing we are as vegans are deprived. I think that we have abundant food selections all around us. And I have to well, say think- that the very first thing anybody should do who is shocked by this information is go out and buy a Main Street Vegan. I totally agree. The most positive, I- think- life affirming book on veganism I've ever read.
3: There are a lot of misconceptions out there, too, I think, about the nutrients in milk. I think there's that belief, well, I have to give my kid milk because otherwise they won't get any calcium. That's the only place that anyone can get calcium, which is, of course, not true at all. And the trivia I always like to tell people is that I have never broken a bone. And I do a whole lot of physical activities that involve getting thrown downstairs and things like that. Never broken a bone, got plenty of calcium. No, this is because
2: she's a stunt performer, not I because she's a husband. That's, <laughs> that's, that's
3: because the
4: because reform, so. guns, not because she's just right. randomly throwing stairs. Can I, can I, can I just intersect to that? I'm 62 years old. I recently had a, a bone density test. I've been vegan for almost 20 years, and the doctor said I had the bones of a 32-year-old. Marianne,
2: I am utterly shocked that you shared this your age because this morning when i was prepping dare on you know who you guys were and, and so forth i said Jasmine is is 29 Marianne is oh, no no, three, no no i'm not 20 40. i'm not
4: 29 i'm i'm <laughs> i want to hear what you think i am shut up <laughs> no i i said late 40s so i was thinking 46 47 oh. something like that so sweet. I, and i'm 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 pushing 33 but thank you <laughs> Oh. Well,
2: you know, some some of us present are still in our twenties. Not not to no. be named. <laughs> so Jasmine, you lost weight. Not when you first I, became vegan, but when you kind of changed your vegan diet a bit.
4: Can you tell us about that? Oh sure. Yeah, I, I recently lost almost a hundred pounds and I did so I was I was vegan while I was heavy. Uh but I I transitioned into a whole food-based diet, which also fits within veganism. But before, I was, was really enjoying the more the more decadent and indulgent foods, which I still enjoy from time to time. But I've really transitioned my diet so that the heart of it is whole foods that are not processed, that do not have oil in them most of the time. No, not really a lot of flour products or bread products, but I have a delicious diet comprised mainly of greens and fruit and legumes and high quality fats like nuts and seeds. The way I lost weight was a combination of following Joel Fuhrman's Eat to Live diet, which Eat to Live is such a tremendous book, and Juice Fasting, which Marianne and I do every month. And so it just sort of came off immediately i mean it it didn't take that long i started losing weight very fast and i never once feel like i'm on a diet so you can be a healthy larger person i was not so lucky i had very high triglycerides i was kind of on my way to heart disease i was about 31 when i started so this is a couple of years ago and and um, now I'm in tip-top shape, I'm really healthy, I'm really happy, and I got to be on the Dr. Oz show with Dr. Furman, who wrote Eat to Live, to talk about my diet and a little bit about veganism and talk about some of my favorite recipes. Yeah, you did a pasta recipe on there, I think, that looked really good? Yeah, it was quinoa pasta. I think a lot of people who eat pasta just will go for the traditional white pasta, which, by the way, is still vegan. And this was just a a pasta made out of quinoa. Quinoa, of course, is, well, I was going to say grain, but really quinoa is a seed. And it's just a healthier way to eat it. It's not made of white white flour products, so it doesn't make you want to keep eating and eating. And the most important part is to load the pasta dish with kale and other greens so that what you're eating is mainly comprised of vegetables, but you still have the the feeling like you're eating pasta because you still are. And my favorite secret ingredient is called nutritional yeast, which is the worst named food on the face of the planet. But once you get over the name, it's really cheesy and delicious, and, and you could find it at most health food stores. It's loaded with vitamins. It's in, incredible. The vegetables save the day, and the green ones
2: save it twice. It's yeah. really, really t- so you guys are about to embark on your, your big trip. You're going to be in Portland for six months while um, Marianne is teaching at the Lewis and Clark University School of Law. What, uh, what are you planning for the road? We've just got about 30 seconds. Well, well, we are driving.
4: Beach. Yeah, we're driving across the country, and we have our travel blender packed so that we can get to it every morning. And we're going to stop at lots of farmers' stands along the way and pick up fresh produce. And we have a few raw bars packed. We're really excited. We're going to try some delicious vegan restaurants along the way because they are everywhere. Yeah, people Brilliant. tend to people who live on the coast tend to think that we have all the vegan restaurants. But every time we've been to anywhere in between the coasts. We found terrific vegan food everywhere. So find it. Let us know what you're finding, and we will let
2: our listeners know. Thank you so much, Jasmine Singer and Marianne Sullivan, our henhouse.org. You can find Adair and me at MainStreetVegan.net. Follow us on Twitter at Adair Moran, at Victoria underscore Moran. Thanks for listening, and we will be back with you Two weeks from today, because next week you're supposed to go out and have a happy 4th of July. God bless.
1: Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria and Adair Moran entertain, educate, and inspire you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria and Adair or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net.
0: Inspiration only takes a moment. Rev. Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share to be fruitful and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God.
1: This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Ready for the next steps on your spiritual path? If you are, you won't want to miss the Yoga Hour Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. Essential insights and practices from the ancient yoga science of self realization show us how to live healthier, happier, more balanced lives. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now.